Hello and welcome to The Weekly Skeptic. I'm Nick Dixon and this is the new weekly podcast branch of The Daily Skeptic for those who just can't get enough skeptical content or those who simply can't read. We'll be tackling three main areas which have been described to me as the unholy trinity of The Daily Skeptic. Those are, of course, COVID slash lockdowns, climate change, net zero mania, and obviously wokeness, wokery, wokitude, and all the madness that lies therein. We'll be doing this by interviewing top guests, scientists, writers, thinkers, if we get really desperate, maybe even comedians. And we'll also be going through the week's news from a sceptical perspective with our esteemed founder, Mr. Toby Young, and our also esteemed editor of The Daily Skeptic, Mr. Will Jones. And I happen to have both of them here. Gentlemen, welcome to your own show, essentially. Is there anything you'd like to add to my stunning introduction? No, I thought that was very good. Um, I, I should I should say that um, Will came up with the unholy trinity. That's not my coinage. And I think when you came up with it, Will, you pointed out that um, amongst these kind of three kind of authoritarian, within these three authoritarian movements, the word zero crops up quite frequently. So, you know, for the climate change skeptics, so, sorry, for the, for the climate change alarmists, obviously it's net zero. Um, for, you know, uh, COVID paranoics, it's um, zero COVID. And then for the kind of um, wokus pocus gang, it's um, zero tolerance, zero tolerance of, you know, um, hate speech or uh, misinformation or however it is they like to describe opinions they disagree with um uh, zero it's, emissions it's, zero emissions as well zero emissions and of course there was um the Khmer Rouge's year zero um uh, patient zero is that connected connected to I guess COVID ground paranoia zero. yep anyway this is the ground zero of um skeptical common sense um so Will what what has what's appeared in the site uh in the past week or so that's been that's particularly excited you it's been an extraordinary week, actually, at uh, Daily Skeptic, um, Toby. We've had uh, we've had uh, lots of lots of hits on um, on, a, on a number of our stories, and uh, and a week's a long time. Looking back through it, and it's just seeing how um, uh, seeing uh, what was going on a week ago. We've had um, uh, Chris um, Chris Morrison, our uh, uh, environment editor, uh, writing about a couple of um, climate um, top climate scientists, uh, Richard Lindsay and, and William Happer, who have. Who have really laid into the so-called evidence they call it for uh, for a catastrophic global warming and uh, and really and really setting out their case for why uh, the world is going um, going down a really um, foolish path um, based not based on real science uh, too much on on models uh, we've, we're sick we're sick of models aren't we in the Daily Skeptic uh, based on uh, dubious models and. Um, and, and, and manipulated data as well. Um, there's a lot of lot of commonalities between between the two, um, uh, COVID and climate. Uh, so uh, so we, so that so his his article on that um, uh, has uh, got a lo- got a lot of interest. Well, let's um, stay with um, had... let's let, let's stay with climate change for a second because um, it's it's become. I, I was debating whether we run anything on the site today which is um, predicted to break records and be the hottest ever day since records began in, 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 in the United Kingdom. I thought, are we going to look foolish if we continue to bang our sceptical drum about climate change alarmism when cars are literally catching fire on the streets and tarmac is melting and, um, you know, an emergency warning has been issued by the Met Office and the government has ordered us to shelter in place. Will we look like kind of, you know, sort of head in the sand climate change deniers if on today of all days we continue to kind of bang that drum? And I think, no, 
we should definitely publish. And we have indeed. Chris has published a piece today, hasn't he? Um, pointing out that um, I think the hottest July on record until this July was 2019. And actually, the average temperature in July in 2019 was um, not as high as it was, I think, in like 20, in, in 19. 1910 and 1911. So, so much for global warming. A couple of hot days, a bit of fine weather does not mean the planet is about to catch fire. Exactly. I was saying to you, I mean, I, I remember I remember it being 38 a few years ago. It was just 38 on my app. I went out and thought, this is a bit hot. But because it was pre-COVID, it wasn't an apocalyptic event that the government had to fix. It was just hot. Do you remember? Whereas now, of course, it's, oh, we've got to stay inside. Ambulances are going to catch fire. I've seen all kinds of madness on a on Twitter, the ITV presenter at the debate said that the severe effects of climate change are clearly becoming apparent. That was just presented as fact during the yeah, leadership it's like, debate. It's like one hot day and they've been proved right. It's incredible, isn't it? No amount of failed predictions proves them wrong. I mean, you know, nothing, any climate change alarmist dating back to the 1970s has predicted will happen, has happened by the date they said it would happen. The polar bears are still around. The ice caps haven't melted. Um, uh, you know, n- the world is not on fire. Um, uh, oceans uh, are not burying Miami uh, beneath water. Um, forest is not disappearing. Um, none of the things they predicted were going to happen have happened. But apparently none of that in any way invalidate their hysterical hypotheses one hot day and that's proof proof that they were right all along i mean it's incredible isn't it talk about not being very scientific no the science has, has very little to do with it let's be honest uh, there's a it's heavily politicized and um and they're just uh, and all they're doing is trying to push a narrative and we see that with covid as well don't we there's just uh, just uh, just pushing just pushing a narrative so we, we've ended up with this uh, with this hot day which as we've seen on our site today we've been asking our readers to uh, to tell us uh, what the temperature actually is um, from their thermometers and compare it to uh, what was forecast um, or even what's being currently said the temperature is at um, on uh, by weather forecasters on the BBC or whatever. And, uh, and consistently it's coming in by uh, two, uh, three, um, a couple of, you know, two or three degrees, maybe even more in some cases, uh, lower than what was forecast uh, yesterday. Um, yeah. or even, um, or, even or, even what, or even what we're being told by the Met Office is the temperature today. You know, the exactly. BBC is saying it's one thing. Our readers are telling us another. And that actually, that we, Chris Morrison had an interesting story on the site earlier this week in which he said that one of the reasons that um, uh, average temperatures in the UK keep going up is because they take the temperature readings near Heathrow. Um, and um, and actually, what what they what the rising temperatures reflect is the expansion of Heathrow and the fact that more and more planes <laughs> with kind of hot jet fuel are taking off. It's it's not global warming; it's just urban expansion that these temperature yeah, rises it, are measuring. The urban heat island effect is the so many of the of the thermometers have been in areas which whether in urban areas have expanded over the last yeah. uh, fifty years, and and that's and that's made them warmer and. Um, and, and, and a research project from a research paper ten years ago looked at looked at this and found that with the lot with, after a number of the weather stations were closed down, around fifty percent uh, in the last uh, few decades, fifty percent of weather stations thermometers uh, are, are by airports, nearly half, um, and yeah. that's because the other ones have been have been shut down, um, or, and more airports have been built. So I mean that's that's just I mean that's. That's just the airports, let alone the the other urban effects. That's incredible. That's I mean, bordering that's on conspiracy, different. isn't it? That is a conspiracy. They should take it up in Cumbria, where I'm from, rural Cumbria. It's never been above about 18. 
Can I can I just can I add one other observation I've made on uh, Twitter is that people the woke people have sort of started using this as you know more evidence of co- climate change and there's sort of a link between people who have pronouns in their bio and how serious you think the heat is. So a, a lady here called Dr. Kimberly Humphrey with pronouns has added that um, people who are in Australia who are saying it's not that hot. What you have to realize is the UK does not have the infrastructure to handle it safely and they've all discovered the woke people the word infrastructure this week. Have you seen that? Uh, is yeah, that right? I, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm. I'm, I'm slight. I'm, I, I have to admit, I've been. I have. I've been slightly worried to discover that, or slightly alarmed to discover that the um, that we we put tarmac on our roads that can't cope with a perfectly ordinary hot summer day that that turns that turns to liquid apparently. Uh, should the temperature uh, get to the temperature that it that it often gets to, you right. know, 37, 38 degrees. You know, I mean, maybe we don't get there every year. We certainly don't get there every every month um, in the summer. Uh, but we get there, and we could do with roads that don't turn to liquid when that uh, on the on the regular occasion that happens. Uh, my question is also explain. about the trains because when it got to thirty eight point seven degrees, which it did in twenty nineteen, did any of the trains stop? Whereas now they're saying the tracks will get too hot, so we have to close it down. You sort of listen and go, okay, maybe that's reasonable. But did they stop in 2019? No, That's I don't think they did. No, they didn't stop in 2019. I don't think they stopped in 1908 or you know, 1911. And you know, what about shutting schools because it's um, right. too hot? I mean, you know, <laughs> I thought you, know, you hear these kind of progressives worrying about, you know, the lack of education in Africa and the lack of, you know, education, particularly for girls in Middle Eastern countries. But, you know, and the next breath calling for our schools to be shut down because the the thermometer goes above 35 degrees i mean you think kind of well actually it's fine surely that that there's very poor education in africa because it's too hot they can't possibly go to school in africa because sometimes it's above 35 degrees i mean it's just ludicrous <laughs> right when i when i grew up i hate to sound like a old northern when i grew up you had to be basically dead to get a day off school we, we would never have had that and um the, the other thing i've seen is that people people use the argument i think it's quite a strong argument that we go on holiday and deliberately enjoy temperatures hotter than this and then I saw a weatherman sort of try and rebut that the other day because he, he was sounding the climate alarm bell. And then he said, well, to the people who say we went on holiday, well, yeah, but one, that was a choice. And two, there was often air con. It's like if you grew up in the 80s or earlier, there was there was not air con. I didn't see air con until I was in my 20s or something. So it's a pretty weak argument. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And with a bit of, of tweets and comments on our, on our site and everywhere, they're saying that, you know, people on their holidays in Northern Africa, Marrakesh, you know, the Mediterranean, all, all, all telling us that the temperature is, is you know, 40, 45 degrees, and, you know, and they're, and they're loving it and, uh, and they haven't died. Yeah, you're not allowed to like it. Have you noticed that? If you say I'm enjoying <laughs> the fine weather, you immediately get piled on on Twitter. How could you be enjoying this? The world is on fire. Don't you realise? You know, and actually I saw that um, in, in the leadership debates you mentioned earlier, Nick, that you'd seen the one. Uh, last night, but I remember uh, pretty much the only the only one of the five candidates um, uh, who's who's rode back a bit on the net zero pledge is Kemi Badenoch, and she was piled on on Twitter for rowing back on it. You know, does she not realise how serious this is? You know, Alex Sharma has threatened to resign if the winner of this contest rows back uh, uh, one jot on our ludicrous kind of net zero pledges. And um, yeah. It, 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 one thing I pointed out in a post on um, uh, the Daily Skeptic earlier this week is that there was an article in one of the kind of Lancet spin-off climate change journals um, published earlier this month, which said that the number of excess deaths uh, due to heat-related causes was one-eightieth of the number of 
excess deaths due to cold-related causes um, on an annual basis uh, between 2000 and 2019. So you're 80 times more likely to die of the cold than you are of the heat. And all this alarmism about climate change uh, is what's contributed to net zero. Net zero, in turn, has been one of the causes of rising energy prices, which is causing utility bills to go up, which is going to mean that many more people die of cold-related deaths this winter than are going to die during this heat wave. I mean, if these climate change activists really care about protecting the vulnerable, shouldn't they be challenging the net zero target and demanding the government lift the fracking ban? Because that way, fewer people, fewer elderly people will die of the cold this winter. They're they're the wrong kind of deaths, Toby. That sort of reminds me of Black Lives Matter, how they famously don't care about shootings in Chicago. They don't even care about the guy that died in the Black Lives uh, uh, Matters riots because he was trying to look after his shop. Yeah, the cold deaths, they don't have any political function, do they? It's a very good point. And I just on your other point, can I just quickly say, uh, yes, four out of five candidates signed this this, uh, pledge on net zero. So I just just did a tweet and called it wet zero, which I thought was quite a good pun because they're the Tory wets, aren't they? The ones that actually go along with it. And Kemi, like you say, is the only one who's had the guts to not be on it. And to me, that functions almost like a campaign ad for her, the fact that she's not on it. Totally. Oh, yeah. She, she's she's sound on, I think, on the unholy trinity issues. Um, she's sound on two out of three. She's very pro-free speech. She's anti-woke. Um, uh, and um, she, she she's not going to, you know, take any nonsense about net zero. Um, I, 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 th- I don't think I don't I don't think there's anything on record to suggest that she was ever sceptical about the lockdown, although there may be. But um, we do yeah, know that she was working... That? She, hold on, just to finish this, yep. she, she did work behind the scenes. She lobbied behind the scenes against vaccine passports. So we know she was at least opposed to vaccine passports. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say the exact same thing from Calvin Robinson's tweet. I, I, that's the only place I'm getting it from. He said that, yeah, she was behind the scenes against it. Because m- everyone voted for them except Tugendhat is my understanding of the remaining candidates. Is that correct? The rest of ministers. So, they, so the, 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 I mean, so he, he's the non-minister, isn't he? So right, he, that makes he, sense. He was, he was free to... We're not giving him that. Did, 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 did you know that he used to be in the army? Oh, really? It's like he's like a wind-up toy, isn't he? It's like uh, Buzz Lightyear or something. I mean, he, he advertises his uh, his service well, I mean, every time he opens his mouth. <laughs> I mean, it's like Sajid Javid reminding us all that his father was a bus driver in the last general, the last leadership election. I mean, it's I w- just, I mean, it, it's, it, it, it just, I find it unbelievably kind of, um, groan inducing every time he mentions it. And did, boy, he mentions it a lot. and did Penny have something to do with yeah, it? Yes, yes, yes. Apparently she did, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, it, I don't think either of them have ever been in harm's way. I mean, they've never actually been on a battlefield, have they? I mean, I, mean, I hope I'm not being, uh, you know, uh, uh, getting that wrong in Tom Tugendhat's case, but I think he was an intelligence, you know. You know, he was, what he was, you know, he was back in base camp kind of processing signals. He, was, he wasn't on the front line, you know, putting himself in danger. This is Toby Young, founder of The Daily Skeptic. Uh, We rely almost entirely on voluntary donations to make all this work, to employ all the people we do, uh, to bring you all this information. Um, We get very few ads. um, So please do donate. Go to www.dailyskeptic.org. Hit the donor box button on the homepage. Whatever you can afford, every little helps. And if you want to comment regularly below the line, um, if you if you donate at least five pounds a month, you'll be able to do that, or fifty pounds a year. Um, thank you, thank you for listening, and thank you for reading the Daily Skeptic.
Penny's record is apparently somewhat overhyped, I have been told. I was trying to think of possible campaign songs. I thought You're in the Army Now would have been a great one for, for Tugendhat. And maybe for Penny, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. And then I got a bit stuck. I don't know where you'd go after that. <laughs> yeah, I would have thrown Yeah. Uh, I was very disturbed, actually, by your piece on Penny in The Daily Skeptic. Your piece on Penny where you you, uh, you linked to a piece, sorry. I think it was, it was in The Spectator. Where in your weekly roundup, where Penny is sort of trying to be, she's trying to secretly put through woke legislation. And there was a quote from her where she said, in the Equalities Office, I've got a growing list of legislation, some of which I can't even be seen to be helping with. That's right, yeah. The, uh, that was the spectator um, um, scoop. Steer point, wasn't it? They had yeah. it? I think they had a leak to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, um, uh, she um, yeah, they, they found a recording of a 2018 talk that she did to an uh, LGBT group uh, where she was basically saying how uh, what she was doing behind the scenes and how she was doing it covertly and couldn't be seen to be supporting those things. And of course, now we've seen the spectacle of her of her denying, uh, saying and doing the very things that it, she's on record and has written a book saying that she <laughs> that she has said and done, and uh, which you know hardly hardly speaks a, a new a new phase of honesty and integrity in the uh, in, in Downing Street, does it? No, uh, no. She, her, her, and I don't know what's worse: the fact that she's clearly, you know, the member of parliament for Stonewall, or or has kind of vehemently denied that she's the member of parliament for Stonewall. I mean, ni- neither is good, but the second actually might be even worse than the first. I've been sharing your tweet a lot, Toby, where you you quoted from her book, which is the most disturbing thing I've heard on a quite a long, disturbing list from Morden where she says, the problem is most of our leaders are drawn from a narrow background. Their education and training was from the last century where the, when the world was very different. It was, a, it was long-term, male, patient, predictable, factual, planned, heterosexual, white, Christian, Western. And she's saying that's a problem. So she's against all of those things. Yeah. I mean, how can you work including, without patience? Or rationality. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Never mind white people, 87% of the country, <laughs> men, heterosexuals. How will she reproduce the species? Will it be a kind of a gay feminist version of Gil- Republic of Gilead? Like who's going to create the babies? She's against the West. I mean, <laughs> I mean uh, like I said, you know, her book reads like a great leadership pitch. If she was standing for the leadership of almost any other party, could be the Greens, could be the Lib Dems, could be the Labour Party, just not the Conservative Party. Right. Do you think I'm right with my t- thing I just tweeted where I said that we, we, we basically have a Blairite party against a communist party with a Blairite leader. And the only one against this is Kemi, who who said we need to move on from Blairism in her initial leadership pitch. And she's the only one that's said anything like that. Yeah, I think she's the only person in the race um, who uh, embodies the kind of um, red-blooded um, uh, conservatism that we all quite like. I mean, I, I, my second choice would be Liz. And if uh, Kemi is knocked out, and I, I expect she will be, um, I'll, I'll back Liz, I think. Liz um, Truss was a lot stronger she, in the second debate. She was, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I, think, uh, I, th- I think she's quite sound on free speech and quite sound on the economy, um, uh, much more so than Rishi. Um, what do you think to Rishi and Liz Trust. Truss's decision to cancel the Tuesday night debate on Sky? Well, yeah, I, it's, yeah, it's not surprising, really, after the disaster of the last one. I mean, I think that the, the consensus that I saw was that the winner of that debate was the Labour Party because <laughs> it was just airing the dirty laundry, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm not so sure about that. I, I, I mean, um, uh, you know, people have got pretty short memories. I'm not sure that, you know, 
in 18 months' time, if that's when the general election is, people will kind of dredge up things from this debate in their biopolitical broadcast. Um, uh, but, you know, in America, you have a fairly kind of, you know, you have a fairly heated kind of um, dramatic kind of debates uh, between candidates kind of competing to be the candidate for each party, the nominee. And um, I don't think it does any, you know, long-term harm to the kind of Democrat or Republican brand. Maybe it does, but uh, I, I think I think it's a bit feeble. I would like to, I, I quite enjoy these debates. I thought that in the debate last night, I thought the section in which they were asked to ask questions of one another and they tried to, they, they know where each other's weaknesses are much better than kind of members of a studio audience would or even the ITV presenters. So Rishi's question of Liz was a killer question. He said, what do you regret more, being a Liberal Democrat or voting Remain? <laughs> <laughs> classic, was, uh, classic loaded question. Yeah, killer, I, killer question. I agree. I tweeted the same thing that that people are saying, oh, it's nasty, it was toxic. I was like, have you heard of America? It was an incredibly mild debate. That wasn't my problem with it. But I thought the fact is Tom Tugendhat, even though I don't want him to win, did the, probably the best in the first debate. Kemi also was very strong. But to me, what's happened is Rishi and Liz Truss have realized there's no gain in it for them because the, we're going to get to know Kemi more and Tugendhat and go, oh, we actually like these more. And whereas if you're the front runner and you're not coming across that well, then it's tactical. The only tactical thing is to drop out. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's always the problem, isn't it? We saw that uh, we, debates aren't really part of our, our political culture. The first, the first one really was the, uh, the famous one but, uh, for, with Nick Clegg. Um, and I agree with Nick at uh, 20, uh, 2010. Where Clegg mania, yeah. Exactly, Clegg mania. And it, and it, caused, and it caused Clegg mania and, and it caused a massive disruption. And, and, just yeah. and, um, and they've kind of become more part of our cult- political culture now uh, because, uh, because people expect them. And they're... They, they, they're a good thing for democracy, uh, but uh, but the front runners uh, clearly know that they're not really in their interest, and we saw that from yeah. on the, on the, from that from that from that Clegg mania one. So yeah, well, just the balance very briefly though. Farage did beat yeah. Clegg though, didn't he? In the in the Brexit debate, that actually helped Brexit because Farage schooled Clegg. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, one thing that slightly annoyed me about some of the criticisms of the process that you know is taking place to select um, Boris's successor is you get a lot of criticism from some kind of woke broadcasters and journalists but also from you know labor politicians that this is a this isn't a democratic process you know how can we entrust you know naught point three percent of the population i.e the two hundred thousand members of the conservative party to choose our next prime minister isn't this something that should be uh, a choice made by the by the electorate rather than this tiny group of you know rich middle class white men um, but you know when 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 Gordon Brown replaced Tony Blair. Um, it was just decided by, you know, a handful of people on the Labour front bench. It wasn't even decided by the Labour members. And we didn't have a general election until three years later. So who are they to point the finger at the Conservative I, Party for not I being democratic? Heard, I, haven't, I haven't heard those complaints so much this time. There was a lot of complaints about that last time. And I think that's because they knew that Boris Johnson was likely to win, as he did. Now that it's the election because they've got because Boris has been uh, defenestrated, they've... Um, uh, there seems to be, uh, at least to my ears, a lot less fuss about it because they they, they, don't, they don't care so much. In fact, I think they they probably suspect that the Tories are uh, um, that no that no one in terms of popular appeal is really going to uh, these candidates is really going to compare to Boris. I mean, they may be wrong about that, but I I, I, I suspect that they think that the, the Tories have shot themselves in the foot. I yeah, think they do. Yeah, Angela Rayner said as much today, didn't you? Yeah, no, it's exactly right. I, I've seen a little bit of that, but like you say, not much because they're thinking, oh, we like this. The toys are falling apart, except they are afraid of Kemi, as we can see, especially the far left, as we can see by all their obscene racial attacks yeah. on her and all that from Dr. Yeah. Scholler and all these idiots. 
Yeah, I think I that's really true. I think I'm, how obscene racial attacks uh, can uh, are, are left up on, considering how sensitive tw- uh, Twitter and Facebook and all these social media platforms are about the, the slightest possible offence caused to to uh, sacred minorities. It's um, it's oh, I don't quite under- I don't really understand. Well, 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 because 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 um, incredibly, they don't apply their standards consistently. <laughs> woke racism is fine, but uh, non woke racism is is obviously completely taboo. I mean, one of the well, I think the, the the tweet I saw which took the biscuit was a tweet from uh, the always unreliable Femi, uh, the anti Brexit campaigner, um, who said that. Kemi, if Kemi wins, it would set back race relations in this country by something like 50 years. You're thinking, what? If, if Britain has the first black prime minister, that's somehow going to set back race relations. I mean, what planet are you on? Yeah. You're living in Alice in Wonderland world. And, well, I mean, Dr. Scholar also said that, you know, Kemi was enabling white supremacy and was setting back the uh, struggle against anti-racism by a, a black woman potentially becoming prime minister. So it's, it's absolutely insane. There was even a, 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 a Lib Dem parliamentary candidate. Did you see this? Called Javid Bashir, who... In reply to Suella Bravman said, get your immigrant offspring face off my screen. This is how bad the, the, the racist left have become. I think I think the reason they I mean, I think the reason they 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 are so worried about Kemi is suppose suppose she wins and becomes the next leader of the Conservative Party and our prime minister. That would make it much harder in future to try and depict the Tory party as a racist party. But if she then goes on to win the next general election, wouldn't it make it even harder to then claim that Britain is kind of riddled with racism from top to bottom? We've yet to kind of recover from the legacy of empire and so on and so forth. I mean, it would just, you know, would just kind of, they'd have to pack up their their operations and basically disappear. Yeah, what they go for, which uh, the, the comedian Dane Baptiste said on LBC, is that Kemi is a mere puppet they have to rely on the puppet narrative then. She's a puppet of the white man, yeah. a marionette or whatever it is. Yeah. Madness. I think that's, gonna, that's not going to fly. Are there um, any other stories anyway, that, from the week that you wanted to go over? We published some tumdingers, haven't we, this week, where we published a great um, forensic examination of the, um, the conspiracy theory that the 2014 coup in Ukraine um, uh, was um, uh, uh, a neo-Nazi plot. Um, uh, and uh, and that innocent protesters were murdered, not by government officials, which was one of the triggers for the overthrow of the government of 2014, but by um, neo-Nazi snipers masquerading as government officials in order to provoke the revolution. Well, Ian Rons, um, who originally set up the Daily Skeptic website, uh, used to be our webmaster, he's written a kind of forensic, almost 7,000 word analysis in which he goes into the kind of details of the ballistics and the angles of the bullets hitting bodies and eyewitness accounts and compares different rifles and different bullet calibers. I mean, it's unbelievably detailed, but I think pretty pretty definitively shows that um, that, that particularly con- conspiracy theory is nonsense. Um, anyway, so there was that piece, which I thought was excellent. And then there was a great piece by Jeffrey Tucker about Deborah Burks. Is that how you pronounce her name? Burks, B-I-R-X. Anyway, she was uh, a top official. She was like the, um, what, the um, Chris Whitty um, or the Sir Patrick Valance of the Trump administration. And she essentially bamboozled Trump into initially um, uh, recommending a lockdown 
at the time it was only supposed to be for two weeks and then it extended and she admits in her book she actually seems to brag in her book according to Jeffrey Tucker about um about um manipulating the data concealing things trying to go around the administration using you know everything she could to kind of subvert the democratic process in order to kind of perpetuate the lockdown even though you know her medical knowledge her expertise uh was pretty scant um uh, a, a pretty shocking story and told really well by Jeffrey Tucker. And she also said in the book, yeah, absolutely. And she, she also said in the book and told the mail that, um, that the virus came out of the box um, with, uh, with it being highly infective in humans. And she was very, uh, she was very convinced about this from very, very early on, that it was out of the box. Um, she's convinced that it was leaked from a lab um, that, um, or that it leaked from a lab and that, um, and that it was already ready to, to infect humans so, so, so well that it did asymptomatically when people didn't even realise uh, they had it, hence the name of her book, Silent, um, Silent Spread, which um, she's, and, um, but this, this, this is very telling though, I think, that, that she had, that she was convinced of this. And she said she spoke to the other, um, one of the, Robert Redfield, Bob Redfield, uh, who was in, uh, who was one of the other uh, key epidemiolog- epidemiologists um, in the Trump administration. Um, and they, they were clearly convinced of this very early on, as we've seen with the Fauci emails as well, where, which have been uh, shown that they were, that they were concerned about it. And then of course, orchestrated this, uh, this this cover up, um, but there is this but there is this idea that uh, that one of the reasons why they panicked um, in in America and the UK and that the and that these uh, these scientists panicked so much and pushed for lockdowns uh, was because uh, was because they believed that it was this 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 pimped up gain of function uh, virus that had leaked from a lab with US uh, US uh, funding and support um, and that and that part of the panic. Uh, from the scientists was driven uh, by this 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 idea that uh, that it was that it was this it was a souped up super virus. Yeah, yeah, that that was the phrase that stuck out to me. Uh, COVID came out of the box, ready to infect. Yeah, it sounded like because when I first saw it, I thought, oh, Trump said that. It sounded like Trump, but no, it was actually Doctor Birx. Yeah, yeah I, I, um, so, I, 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 I went to the Spectator Tea Party. Um, uh, was it last week? I think it was the week before, and met Angus Dalgleish, who was one of the very few um, sceptical. I think he was originally a member of Sage, but I think he left Sage in the course of the pandemic. But he he is he's he's absolutely convinced that um, it was a genetically engineered virus, um, and uh, doesn't just hold the. Um, Chinese responsible, but thinks it was a kind of collaborative effort between the Americans and the Chinese with other scientists weighing in. He doesn't think it was deliberately leaked um, as a kind of bioweapon by the Chinese, or, but he nonetheless thinks it was definitely engineered to be particularly infectious. Um, yeah, and, uh, but he, said he, he, he and um, Gwithy and Prince have written a paper about that, and they've had enormous difficulty uh, finding anyone willing to publish it. Um, yeah. And they now have found someone willing to publish oh, it. Good. And I've asked, um, I've asked them to write something for The Daily Skeptic about the difficulty they've had publishing really? this paper. Uh, and I, as The Daily Skeptic, we should make clear that that doesn't mean that it was a super or is a super virus um, that we should actually be afraid of. Um, that uh, even if it did leak and was and was pimped up to be more transmissible, uh, that just means it's a particularly infectious uh, flu or cold type virus. It doesn't mean that it's actually something we need to be um, afraid of. But it is. But it is interesting that it does. It does help to explain in a non in a non um, uh, conspiracy theory way uh, that uh, why there was so much panic among those in the know um, 
um, early on. Yeah. Although in a way there is a, although in a way there is a, there is a slight conspiracy there, isn't there? Because we 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 know that they that they did try to they did they did get together to try to work out how to suppress um, the the. Uh, the information, uh, the theory that it had been leaked from the lab, and the evidence uh, for may, that. May, may, maybe it was. It was. Um, I mean, I've I've long suspected that that's why the British government um, did a reverse ferret on the original policy, which was to take it on the chin, wait for herd immunity. Um, is that you know um, uh, that they were essentially told that they were briefed at one of these Cobra meetings, the effect that it is in all likelihood had leaked from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and had been genetically engineered to be particularly dangerous. Um, and they just didn't want to disclose that to the public for fear of causing panic, but also um, because there was a degree of complicity um, uh, between, you know, the, 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 the various different international scientific sure. kind of Sure, but we know that. But they, but, they, but that they only refer to reverse ferret in the middle of March. Uh, they knew that um, at the end of January um, or beginning of February, when they had, when uh, when Valance and Farrar um, were um, were involved in that video call with Fauci, so that they already had that information. But the interesting thing is that they chose that those that those behind the scenes, those scientists, uh, chose at first, even though they knew that there was a good chance of that, to play it down. And to tell people not to worry mm. and to not panic, and, they, and and the interesting thing is that they is that they flipped. And I've been looking into this uh, with a couple of others, um, and it looks like the that they flipped after the um, after the World Health Organization came out and backed the Wuhan the Chinese lockdowns on the twenty fourth mm. of February. Um, the, on February twenty fourth, the, the, they did a, a, a notorious now uh, to skeptics uh, uh, press conference where they said. Uh, you, you all need to do this. So the World Health Organization, uh, which wants a lot more power now, let's not do that, um, uh, came out and said, this, we, you, you all have to do these, these lockdowns. And, um, and then there's, there's emails from uh, Fauci that, you can, that are in the public domain where he, um, he started from a couple of days later, interestingly, it was a couple of days later, um, started then pushing uh, lockdowns. Um, and, and, and that was the beginning of the flip. Um, uh, but but for some reason in the UK we took another couple of weeks um, before before we we we, we flipped and of course Sweden uh, never never did so there, there seemed to be a kind of a ripple effect from the capture of the WHO the World Health Organization at the end of at the end of February by the uh, by the Chinese um, <clears throat> the Chinese narrative uh, which was these lockdowns are great um, to, uh, to to the to the to the flipping and the panicking. Interesting. As a, as, that is very interesting. As a layman who hasn't done as much research as well yet, I just noted that we weren't allowed to say it was from a, a lab until the great statesman John Stewart said it on the Stephen Colbert show. And then bizarrely, then we were allowed to say it, although Colbert was very uncomfortable, like, oh, don't say it. And then he did. And then suddenly that was public knowledge. Bizarre kind of gaslighting they do, isn't it? But um, yeah, right. I know that the, the, yeah, the, 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 and, and there was this there was this odd. Um, the, the, I remember the, the, the chief executive of YouTube said that um, they, they had adopted this policy during the pandemic um, of um, removing any content that challenged anything the WHO said. And the WHO kept flipping. Um, uh, they flipped on masks, for instance. And it was as though, you know, if she was going to consistently apply that policy, um, she'd have to kind of go back and see 
previous things the WHO had said before they'd flipped and removed that because it was in conflict <laughs> with what the WHO were now saying. Um, uh, but it was, uh, and, and, and we published a piece, I think recently, Will, um, or, or, or linked to a piece saying that even the head of the WHO now believes that um, the virus originated in the lab. Even yeah, though they haven't said so publicly, though, has he? No, they haven't, um, no. Yeah, that was one of the most, one of the, the most outrageous parts of the of the whole thing has been the uh, has been the censorship. And you know, we're now two and a half years in, and still uh, anything which goes against the World Health Organization or the official line um, is removed by sites like uh, uh, like YouTube are one of the worst, aren't they? And, um, yeah. and, and we had something taken down by Facebook, didn't we, a couple of weeks ago? And Facebook, we're, we're still living in in a in a world uh, where where you, you can't say things. You can't really criticise masks, can you? If you say anything that suggests that masks are less than 100% effective, um, quite often that'll get removed. You can't draw attention to vaccine harms, or at least if you do it, you have to do it in a very sort of even-handed, um, uh, on the one hand and on the other sort of way. Do you know the two, um, Toby, do you know the two things that we've, that we've been uh, sanctioned for on, on social media? Because we actually somehow get away with not being sanctioned that that much we probably we may get shadow banned i don't know but we don't um but but the actual sanction one one a recent one was um was uh, when we tweet when we uh, wrote about ivermectin so when we when we wrote about an alternative treatment they they came down on us um really hard so, yeah. so and that that surprised me we write lots about uh, vaccines yeah. and vaccine effectiveness not being very good and vaccine harms being um being bad but as soon as we wrote about an alternative cheap treatment that's used across the world um, that that uh, a number of studies show is is, is um, has has good effects. Uh, we were we were we were immediately uh, penalised. And, and the other one was um, uh, was where we suggested that that the clinical trial uh, that Pfizer had not been entirely um, transparent and accurate in everything that they'd recorded about the. Uh, about the injuries and deaths um, that people in the vaccine arm of their trials had um, had um, had experienced, even though this is all in documents that have been released under a court order uh, that have been put into the public domain, and we're just reporting on what it says and raising questions. Um, and uh, and that was immediately uh, the uh, Twitter, I think it was, came down came down on us. Those are the things that we've been penalised for. I mean, that that is frightening. Um, that just simply raising um, ra- raising possibilities about treatment on studies that are reporting on studies of treatment of possible treatments uh yeah reporting on studies and um and then and reporting Pfizer's own documents and what they say uh can get you censored it's it's probably algorithmic isn't it i imagine every time you mention the word um uh, ivermectin it, they just yeah. automatically kind of attach a safety warning to it and flag you anyway yeah um i think i've got to go and feed the dog All right, that was a little sample of the Weekly Skeptic podcast. We weren't even planning to release that, but it was so good. We felt you deserved to hear it. We'll be launching officially on September the 6th, also coincidentally when the new prime minister is announced, apparently. There's no connection there. But please go to the Daily Skeptic website, www.dailyskeptic.org, and donate. There's a box there you can click. It says donate. It's very, very easy. really helps us out. And also subscribe to the daily newsletter. And also subscribe to this podcast if there's a subscribe button by the time you're hearing this, which presumably there will be. Thank you very much. Catch you next time.